my Lord, what a throwback. Lord, help me to hold out. A lot of people here might not be old enough to remember when that song used to tear up a church. Yeah. Whole lot of songs like that. We don't sing them no more. We, we got new songs, but ain't nothing wrong with the old song. I just got to draw down on them every now and then. Thank you for that flashback. Every now and then, you need to just go back through your, what is it called now, song list. Play some of the older songs. Take you back to the place where I first received you. People want to hear that sometimes. Take me back to the place. You remember, you remember how you felt when you first believed in the Lord? You remember how excited you were and how you wanted to run and do anything for him? And then life gets in the way. And life starts making it seemingly more and more difficult for you to do the things that you had a mind, a mind to do. You have to, you have to fight through that. You got to fight through all those obstacles that come along. Sometimes they don't even present as obstacles. Sometimes they're just life. We start putting things in front of the Lord, and before you know it, we find ourselves drifting, drifting away. And whereas somebody used to be able to sing a song, the song used to set us on fire. We can sit now and hear that song, and it don't do nothing to us. Why? Because we let something get between us and that feeling. And if I could take that feeling when I first came to know the Lord for real, not not when I was made to go to church, I think, or not when I was brought to church. I'm talking about when I got up running, could get my clothes on fast enough. As Ms. Hankin used to say, that feeling. If I could get that feeling and bottle it and take a swig of it every morning. Yeah. Yeah, a spoonful. Set you on fire. I felt like there wasn't nothing I couldn't do and didn't want to do for the Lord. I despise the day when working for the Lord started feeling like work. I despise that day. I despise the day that I actually thought that I was doing something and forgot that it was him all along. I despise that day. He loved me first. And whatever is going on, he made it possible. Even being here today is because of him. Amen. How many of y'all know that you didn't get up and get yourself here today? You didn't have the power to do it. Try as you might. If it had not been for the Lord on your side, you wouldn't be sitting there right now. You wouldn't have strength and you certainly wouldn't know who you were. You wouldn't have understanding about what was going on if it had not been for the Lord on your side. And so that ought to be enough when you get to your seat to sit down and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I made it. I made it. You let me get here today, Lord. I just want to thank you for that. Now feed me, Lord. Feed me. Give me something that's going to bless me as I leave this place. And, and let it be enough, Lord, so that I have mine and I can give somebody else some. That's what church ought to feel like when you come. 
should not be a checklist. It's Sunday. Let me go to church. Now let me go get something to eat. That shouldn't be Sunday. I long for those days. There's a word from the Lord that he's given me to share with you today. I think it echoes what we've been talking about this month. I believe it does because I think that there are some people who are in a rut where they are in a place that they didn't expect to be. If they're wondering how they get to the next level. Where do I go? How do I move from this place that I find myself in? How do I get to another level, not just in the Lord, but in myself? How do I, how do, I do that? I mean, it's just being practical, spiritual and practical at the same time. Some of you are in a storm that you didn't, you certainly didn't call for yourself, but you find yourself right in the middle of it. There's a passage of scripture where a similar Bible leader found himself under circumstances like that. And I thought that how he experienced and what he went through during that time, if we can learn from what he went through, it would be good for all of us. His name is Paul. We've studied his adventures so many times. Paul always found himself getting in situations for the Lord. These aren't situations he put himself into. He was simply trying to go out and tell somebody about the Lord. Now, that's a whole lot different than the other Paul. The old Paul, his name was Saul. He was trying to get rid of Christians. But this guy, whose name is now Paul, same person, different purpose. This guy, all he wants to do every day he gets up is serve the Lord. That's all. Yeah, in fact, he figures out that if he can live, it's for Christ. And if he dies, all I do is gain. Yeah, yeah, y'all thought that song, all I do is win, win, win. That, that, that's Paul. Paul came up with that. Somebody else just put some different words on it. That's all he does is win. I win for him down here, and I win for him if I come to him. That's all. That's what we go through. He finds himself in the 27th chapter of Acts. You read that. That's the story of the early church. Facts were recorded by Luke the Apostle. The Acts of the Apostle was written, were, were written by Luke. He recorded all these activities of how the church started after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And the disciples set about doing the work that Jesus left for them to do. He recorded it. You'll find around the 27th chapter a passage of scripture where Paul is in trouble. Paul's in trouble. Found himself on a ship traveling. If you start around the 27th verse, I'm just going to read a little bit for you. It said, on the 14th night, starting at verse 27, on the 14th night, 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. So they started taking soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. Short time later, they took soundings again and found out it was 90 feet deep. They still do the same thing on ships right now. Same exact thing. And then you gotta know, they've been on a ship 
for 14 days. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise for five days, but 14 days on a ship is a long time. Yeah. But right now the ship does the soundings and they know the channels that they can go through. The ship has automatic equipment that tells them how deep the water is. At that time, they would have to do it manually and they would have to drop things in the water that let them know how close they were to the shore or else the ship would run on ground. And so they were taking soundings and they found out first they were 120 feet out, then they found out they were 90 feet out. And they became afraid trying to stop the ship from going into the shore. And so they started dropping anchors to slow the ship down in the storm. Verse 30 says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense. You've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. 34, now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. 35, after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all, set the example. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 men on board. So Paul is out on the ship with 276 men. What I didn't read in your hearing was that Paul had already been assured in his prayers to the Lord that every person would be okay. God had already told him everybody's going to survive. Now, can I tell you this right now? God might tell you right now everything's going to be all right. You still might have to go through a storm. But depending on his word, following his word, is the faith that you have to have. And so in this passage, I want to remind you, and this is what I came to talk to you about, that you have got to have faith enough to understand this central thought, that your current location is not your final destination. All right? Your current location, your current situation, your current problem is not where you're going to end up, y'all. Your current situation, say that, your current situation, say that, is not my final destination. Look at this, look at this. Every one of us, to a person, finds ourselves going through difficult challenges. I don't even know if there are easy challenges. Maybe, maybe, but we wouldn't call it, call it a challenge if it was easy. Sometimes it seems that those challenges we find ourselves in are the final chapters in our lives, we figure, we figure this is it. I mean, I'm, I'm just, it's just too much going on right now. Sometimes people, even we found hope for that. 
But I came to tell you right now that if you listen to what we've heard these last few months, is that people tend to find themselves in tough situations and sometimes they make final decisions on temporary situations. And I came to tell you today that you gotta have, if you believe in Christ, you gotta have faith enough to know that he only means good for you. And even though you find yourself in tough circumstances, you gotta have faith enough to walk through those circumstances, deal with it, and that's what we learn from Paul under these trying, trying situations. The enemy wants you to believe that the condition you're in now will be your final destination. But the enemy is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. And the truth ain't in him. And he knows better than most that it ain't over until Christ says it's over. He knows that. He also knows that when Christ says it's over, he's done. He goes to get his ultimate punishment. And like the hater he is, he wants as many folk to be miserable in that punishment as he is. But I came today to give you hope. I came today to inspire and encourage you and to tell you that your current situation, no matter how difficult it is, is not your final destination. If you look at this scripture, there are a few things that we can pull out real quickly and know that Christ is for us. First of all, it sounds bad. They're in a storm. The ship's being pushed against the shore. 276 men, that's a whole lot of people to get off a ship at one time. They're frightened, but look at what else is going in play. They're tired. Look, it says they've been on the ship for 14 days. 14 days being stressed, trying to figure out how to deal with circumstances. 14 days trying to understand how you get your situation changed. They're not thinking clearly. And that's when the enemy can come in and play with your mind. That's when the enemy can tear you up. I saw it yesterday. I saw it yesterday. Can I use a football analogy? Yeah. I saw a team yesterday jump out to a 25-point lead. They were strong. They came out. The other team seemed to have no response to them. But the other team came out and ran 80 plays on them. And the same team that at the beginning of the game was full of energy and could hit them and block them 80 plays later, they couldn't stop them from doing anything. You know why? Because they were worn out. The same game plan they had at the beginning of the game didn't work for them because you always have to factor in and into your life fatigue. Fatigue will make you not think clearly. Yeah, when you're staying up all night trying to figure it out, when you're talking to everybody who don't have no answer and all they're doing is listening to you, you're just wearing yourself, yourself out. So walk with me on this. First thing I want you to do, when you find yourself in a tough situation, this is what Paul said. He said, first of all, he said, our light and momentary troubles are achieving us an eternal glory. In other words, what we're going through now is helping us grow in our faith, helping us grow towards the conclusion that God wants for us, and the conclusion we get will outweigh all the problems we had when we were down here. And because of that, we fix our eyes not on what's seen, but on what is unseen. Right. 
For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. You ought to know that. You ought to see that. Put that up somewhere. You can say this is just temporary. The first thing that tells us to do, and you write this down, is trust in the one who made the sea because he is greater than the storm. Trust in the one who made the sea because the one who made the sea is greater than the storm. We know this. We've been going through this in our Bible study that we've been going through right now. We've been talking about who made the world, how the earth was formed. Those who've been there know we've been talking about how God in Genesis 1 came through and, and created everything. So we know there was nothing until he made something. I'd say if you're going to put your trust in somebody, you ought to put your, your trust in the one who made everything. And Elohim, we found, is the one who made absolutely everything. And so that means if he made everything, and I know he's telling me everything is going to be all right, I ought to trust in him. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4 and 8 says this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but guess what? We're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but thank the Lord we haven't been abandoned. We've been struck down, but we're not destroyed. We go through all sorts of things, but at best, it's temporary. None of it is permanent. God created everything, church, and nothing happens until he says so. And certainly nothing happens without his awareness. He sees you on the ship you're in right now. He knows the waves that are crashing against your ship. And guess what? Because he controls the waves and you are precious to him, he knows how to deal with your circumstance. He's aware of the smallest things on earth. Remember that? He knows the sparrows. And certainly if he knows the sparrows, he knows you. And he knows where you are. And so I would rather trust the God who made the sea than put my faith in a storm. Harmony. The second thing is this. A sinking ship is still safer than a stormy sea. All right? A sinking ship is still safer than a stormy sea. First thing folk want to do when they find themselves in a storm like this is jump overboard. They want to get off the sinking ship. But watch this. If you ride it out to the very end, the ship may very well sink. But what happens if you jump off the ship and it doesn't sink? Because you gave up. What happens if you give up too early? You stop trusting. I realize it's tough riding it out. I realize it feels bad. It makes you nauseous and sick. But you're going to immediately drown. <laughs> if you jump into the sea. The sailors had the same problem. 
their fleshly reaction was to immediately get off the boat and get into the sea. And Paul told them, if you leave this ship, you're going to die for certain. And so they cut the cords and they stayed on board. Their bearings were off. They were following their emotional reactions. I came to tell you today, emotions can get you emotionally sick. We talked about this. This was a sermon a few weeks ago, emotion sickness. Yeah, it'll make you do rash things, things that when you think about it later, you should not have done or maybe would not have done. And so put this in place. Your emotions are in place and you're tired. Both of those are recipes for bad problems. The psalmist said it when you're in situations like this. It's hard to do it, but I got to lift up my eyes to the hill because that's where my help is coming from. I can't keep looking down because the more I look down, the dizzier I get. I can't get my bearings when I'm looking down. Have you ever been walking with someone and they're walking with their head down? They're bumping the stuff. Walking with their eyes. You get a child. You tell them, open your eyes when you're walking so you can see where you're going. For some reason, it's fun for a child to walk with their eyes closed. Yeah, but you and I know there's some grown folk who go through life seemingly with their eyes closed. Bumping into stuff, they bump into you. I'm here to tell you, you need to find a fixed point in your life. I'd say that fixed point is heaven. I'd say that fixed point is Jesus. Place a fixed point in your life and keep walking towards that fixed point. When I was in the Army, we'd have to do map reading. It was a big part of our training. Big part of our training. And we would have to lay a line, an azimuth, we would call it, they would give us a map and a compass. That's it, a map and a compass. And you had to learn how to read that compass and lay a line to a point. There'd be a red flag on a little bitty pig, probably be about 1,200 uh, yards away. And you had to figure out how to get from where you were to that in a certain amount of time. Problem is this. While you might be able to stand at the place you start and see the red flag, you might not be able to see it, but it'll tell you your, your point is 1,200 yards away. Walking to that place is more difficult than it seems because when you actually start walking on the land, you can't go straight. You gotta go around trees and bushes and there are divots in the ground that you gotta go around. And so what seems to, this is life, y'all, what seems to be straight, hello, hello high school to career, seems like I got everything laid out, I got a fixed point ahead until I start actually trying to get there and realize I got to go through statistics in order to get that degree. Or I realize I gotta take college algebra in order to get there. I'm off cue. But if you keep your eyes fixed, on the point, you'll find yourself getting back online. And I can tell you this right now, a whole lot of folks flunk map reading. <laughs> Just being truthful with you. Because it's harder than it looks. Whole lot of folk, come on now, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Whole a lot of y'all started out in life going to one place and you found yourself detoured. 
Some of it was because you didn't fix a point in your life and somebody came and pulled you off that point. Yeah, some of y'all willingly skipped with somebody off that point only to find out years later that you were out of place and you're now trying to get back in line y'all act like y'all don't know what i'm talking about y'all know what his name was he was standing over there doing this come here come here and you ran over there to him you are offline you're offline fixed point Six point. Yeah. Then they sang that in the civil rights movement. Keep your eyes on the prize. Why? Because there's a whole lot of little trinkets out there. Things that flicker and flitter and call you and they don't have anything to do with what we're trying to work on. I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And he will not let my foot slip. And he watches over me when I sleep or when I slumber. Yeah. Sinking ship is safer than the stormy sea. Stay on board, even if it looks like it's going down. The second thing, third thing is this. Taking care of yourself will help you stay afloat. Taking care of yourself will help you stay afloat. Very practical. You got to take care of your body and your mind. Your body is important because if you don't fuel your body, your mind doesn't operate the way it's supposed to. You got you to gotta eat. And verses 33 through 36 make it very clear. Paul said, we've been out here for, 40, for 14 days. We simply need to eat. And then he, break, he made some bread and he break it in front of them, pray, thank the Lord for bread even being on board. And things got better. Why? Because they were thinking better. The storm, look now, watch this, watch this. The storm was still raging. But the way they saw the storm was different because they had fed their body. They could think clearly at that point. Can I tell you, your circumstance may in fact be a storm. But unless you feed your mind and your body so that you can think clearly and get good advice, you're going to think it's worse than it is. And a lot of people go through that. You got to feed yourself. You got to make sure you are as healthy as you can be to make good decisions. And look at this. Look at the other benefit. Once they had eaten, they realized we've got too much grain on board. So they could throw the grain overboard, which helped to balance the ship out a little bit. But they couldn't do that while they were upset. There's some people you got in your life who might be feeding you through the storm with something that's not nourishing to you. And when you start thinking clearly, you can get them out of the ship. Because they're not helping you. They're not in fellowship with you. And the last point I want to give you, and then I'm out of here is that listening to God's man and God's plan will lead you to safety. Yeah, there was nobody on board trying to give them direction. It doesn't say anywhere on there that the captain was giving the folk any direction. This was Paul. Paul was a passenger. He wasn't the captain of the sea, but he was God's man in place. He was the one on there who was giving them directions from above. Sometimes the last thing you want to hear is a sermon. Hello. 
sometimes the last place you want to go is the church. But it may just be that that's how God is going to bless you. During the storm, maybe that's exactly where you need to go. You need to go and hear the sermon that God has designed just for you. God always speaks through his spokesman. He does. He always does it. That's the Bible. So I need you to continue. Now, I didn't say that's the only way God speaks, but he always does that. He speaks through his spokesman. And if you find yourself struggling, needing someone to encourage you, let you know what thus saith the Lord, I suggest to you that you try listening to a good sermon, a good spokesman talk to you. It may be when you sit down and start hearing the sermon, you say that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going through right now. Keep listening. God has a way of giving you what you need when you need it in ways that are different than you ever could have imagined. Look at this. Moses had a condition. He was a murderer. People don't remember him for that, but he was a murderer. Killed an Egyptian, hit him in the sand. It was a condition, but it wasn't his conclusion. In fact, it was a condition that made him run away for 40 years. But it was not to be his conclusion because he met God in a burning bush that didn't burn up. And 40 years later, he was God's man finishing God's plan. He had a condition, but it wasn't his conclusion. Naaman, if you've never heard of Naaman, if you've never heard of Naaman, Naaman was a famous general in the Bible. He was braver than anyone else. The problem was he had leprosy. Because he had leprosy, people treated him like he had every problem. He had the worst problem you could have at that time because it was contagious. Well, but he led his, his folks into battle, but he happened to get a word from God's man. And God's man, let me, let, me make, let me make it today relevant for you. Leprosy of that day would have been like having a drug problem today. All right, maybe uh, a heroin problem today. He had that, but he was leading his army, and the preacher came to him and said, if you want to get rid of your drug problem, you need to go down there to Village Creek and dip in it seven times. And if you go dip in Village Creek, you'll come out clean. This is what he told him, and Naaman was offended. He was offended because he said, I'm a general. And you think, I'm going to go and dip in Village Creek? What he really told him to do was go and dip in the River Jordan. But, 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 but Naaman said that was like dipping in a creek. It was beneath him. And he was upset, even though God's man told him to do it. And God's man had to read him and say, now, Naaman, you're the one with the condition." You got the problem. And if God had told you to go and kill seven fatty calves, you'd have thought that would have been what you needed to do because that would have been at your level. But because he told you to go dip in Village Creek, you think it's a lesser plan. And he shamed him with that. And Naaman went and dipped in the creek. And on the seventh time when he came out, the Bible says that his skin was like a baby. He was healed. Why? Because he followed. 
the plan that God's man gave him. He had a condition, but until he was obedient, he couldn't get to the conclusion that God gave him. Arthritis is a condition, but it's not a conclusion. Alcoholism is a condition, but it's not a conclusion. Having mental health struggles is a condition, but it's not a conclusion. Poverty is a condition, and I can tell you right now, it's not a conclusion. Cancer is a condition. I bet I got some witnesses in here that can tell me, even though cancer is a condition, it's not a conclusion. Bad marriage is a condition, but it certainly doesn't have to be a conclusion. For those of you who know about Jesus Christ, know this, death is a condition. But death doesn't have to be your conclusion if you know Jesus Christ. Why? Because the cross was a condition. And until Jesus Christ came along, the cross was the conclusion for a whole lot of folk. The cross was the way a whole lot of folk ended. But it took Jesus Christ coming to a cross and changing the circumstances of the cross to make the cross not a conclusion, but just a condition. And because of you and I, because now you and I see the cross in a completely different way. We don't see the cross as a conclusion. No, we see it as a continuation. We see it as a way for us to get from our condition to our ultimate conclusion. You're struggling today. Jesus Christ struggled for six hours one Friday. Jesus Christ struggled all day that Friday. He struggled. He allowed them to kill him on that cross. His condition was crucifixion. His, addition, his condition was crucifixion, but his conclusion was not to be death. His conclusion was to be given the keys to the kingdom. His conclusion was to be given all power on heaven, in heaven and on earth. His conclusion was to be blessed by his father because he allowed himself to go through the condition of the cross and death. And why did he do it? He did it because he loved you. He did it because he loved you. And because he went through all of those conditions, you and I can be assured that our conclusion can be heaven bound. It's not over until Christ says it's over. So no matter what you go through down here, no matter what you experience down here, know this, that Christ has the final word. And I'm assured, I came to tell you today that your reward was written in his hand. Your reward is in heaven. If you follow him, if you trust him, it doesn't matter what you go through down here. You will live with him forever. And so if you've never accepted him as your father, if you've never accepted him as your savior, now is the time. You'll find yourself right now, if you've never accepted him, in a sinful situation. That's a condition. But if you accept the power of salvation that he gives you, then you can change your condition and have a different conclusion. But you gotta accept it. You gotta accept the gift that he's given you. You've never been baptized before. Today is the day. You can come to me and we'll baptize you just as quickly as we can get you in the pool. But the change that's gonna happen is in your heart right now. If you've never been baptized before, or if you don't have a church family, 
that you're calling your own. If you found that maybe this is the place that we need to be and celebrate our life going forward. And today is the day. While the choir stands to sing this song, why don't you change your condition and look toward a new conclusion? God bless you. That's it. That's it. Do you know him? Does he live in your heart? Oh, my Lord. 